Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Back to your Friday game preview on Buckeye Talk. It's Doug Lamarie, Nathan Baird, and Stephen Means. We're talking Ohio State Toledo, 7 p.m. on Fox in Ohio Stadium. Just to be clear on this, I think I've said some weird stuff this week. This is the first national network game for Toledo in its history. As Nathan pointed out, I think a couple pods ago, they've been on ESPN and ESPN2 a bunch of times, but Toledo has never been on NBC, on Fox, on ABC. On CBS, I guess even last year, I think the Notre Dame game, which should have been normally on NBC, I think must have been on Peacock. I think it was on Peacock. So I didn't even get it for that. So this is a Fox game and Toledo's fired up about that. We're going to talk about what you need to know about Toledo, including the Toledo quarterback. We're going to make our picks at the end of this. If you guys want betting stuff, that's the separate preview pod, betting the Buckeyes. Tyler Shoemaker and I will break down this game and big games around the country from a gambling perspective. But Nathan, let's start with the latest on Ohio state. We're recording this Thursday afternoon. Ryan day had his radio show. Then he speaks with reporters on a zoom for about 10 or 15 minutes. What do we need to know about the latest from Ryan day? Still hopeful that they get Jackson's bit, the jig Julian Fleming. And then they threw Cameron Babb in there today, uh, getting that receiver core back and healthy. It obviously is one of those things that probably doesn't matter as far as winning this game. But from his comments earlier in the week, it's obvious that he feels like getting that group back together could be an important step for sort of getting the offense on track the way they want it to be on track and, and, and just sort of getting the flow that they've wanted to have there and thought they were going to have coming out of the preseason. Uh, We also have not spoken since you guys went to interviews on Wednesday night with the players. I know you guys talked to a bunch of guys, Stephen, you had something with Jack Sawyer, right? That I thought, you know, it's like this is the the evolution of Jack Sawyer at the Jack position, and it sounds like they're still just scratching the surface at that. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I said in the video. I think the best way to describe this is how you think of the quarterback situation. Last year, uh, C.J. Stroud just does what Ryan Day tells him to do every single time. And now they, and, and we saw it all the time. You look at the sideline for basically anything other than like make, making your reads when the ball is snapped. 
while in year two, you're seeing a lot more put on CJ's plate. He doesn't have to look at the sideline as much. Jack Sawyer is probably in year one of that, where it is a, like he has some freedom once the ball is snapped to just go be a football player, obviously. But a lot of the technical stuff that comes with the Jack position is still very much Jim Knowles in his ear telling him what to do. Yeah, you could you can see and you can see. I mean, Knowles has talked a lot about that. It's like Avatar, right? I think the new Avatar is coming out. Is that right? I think there's a new Avatar coming out. Like you go in, like the whole thing on Avatar is like you connect, you get a cord and you connect it to the alien's brain and then you're the alien. Is that right? Has there ever been a huge movie that matters less than Avatar? I don't want to sidetrack this whole, but like that movie was massive and made like billions of dollars. And like nobody ever talks about Avatar. Nobody cares about that movie. Yeah. I mean, then I'm down with 15 years ago at this point, too. So I think them coming out with a sequel this late is. I feel like even then it didn't really like resonate. Like who cares? Avatar. What? Yeah. I'm down with the Navi. They're cool. I like them. There is a land in one of the Disney parks that is uh, uh, an avatar area. And they have a super cool 3d ride. That's like very immersive where it feels like you're riding a Banshee, which is an avatar dragon. But uh, generally, so I think of it like that, that Jim Knowles is me. And like when I'm riding that ride and then Jack Sawyer is the dragon that he's riding, but it's like, you, you want the brain connection between the rider and the dragon. Right. So like, that's, that's how the Jack, if that helps anybody, I know there's a couple of Disney fans who listen to this. If that helps at all with how the Jack position works, then great. If it, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, then of course I apologize. Um, Nathan, what else, what vibes did you get? What else did you talk about? With players, what else did you hear from Day? Obviously, the health of the receivers is really important. What else do we need to know? Well, this Chip Trainum thing has kind of developed into an interesting wrinkle this week. Uh, we've obviously, you know, Emeka Ibuka had been, we thought, sort of established as the primary kick returner. We saw Trainum go in last week. And at the time, you're thinking, well, maybe that's simply they don't want to expose Ibuka more because he's playing so much receiver right now. You can't go down him in addition to already being down Smith and Fleming. But then when we talked to Abuka about it this week, he's like, like, no, like he might be better than me. Like he's, he's super fast and he's a house. Uh, so good luck tackling that. And Ryan day today uh, asked about it uh, on his radio show and in the, the lightning route afterward and said that they see something really promising there, both because, and I've heard this from football coaches before that, Running backs sometimes are really good from a kick return standpoint because of the vision that you have to have. It's more similar to being a running back than it is to being a receiver in a lot of ways because it's everything is in front of you in a way that it often isn't as a receiver. So, and and Chip Trainum still is a running back as much or more than he is a linebacker as far as what he's done in college. So, that's just sort of been an interesting thing to follow this week. Does he take that job and keep it? Or do they give it back to Abuka after Flem- after Fleming and, and Smith and Drigba come back and the, the room is healthier? I, I don't know. But but they talked about it today like they want to see what's there. And if it looks good, that might be his job, which is interesting because I had started to kind of wonder, especially with what they've done at linebacker now, where Tommy Eichenberg is just, uh, just there and just doesn't come off the field. And now you've got that rotation at will with Steel Chambers and Cody Simon. So now you've got this really dynamic athlete that you're not doing anything with except special team stuff. And now this is another way to get him on the field. I think Nathan said a lot of 
really insightful things about why Chip Trainum might now be the kick returner. I think this boils down to Emeka Book as a starting Z receiver now. And I mean, well, it certainly is for the moment, but you're, well, right. You're thinking that like, that's it. The Ibuka Fleming competition in quotes is over before it started. And Emeka is going to be playing 75% of the snaps at receiver. Yeah. I just think, I mean, there's, we've seen it in the past. There's a big difference between who's out there for punt return, who's out there for kick return. Often the punt return is somebody who also has a role within the offense while the kick returner, that's just what he does. So it was easier to just make a Mecca, the kick returner when that's all he was really doing because Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, Jackson were here. If he's going to have a real role on offense, then they're not going to waste him on kick return for yeah. something that may or may not happen. And more than likely is not going to happen. Now punt return. That's interesting to see who has that job between him and Jackson Smith, the Jigba. A kick return, that's cool that Chip can do all that stuff, but more than likely, a lot of the times, he's just going to be waving his hand in the air and they're going to get the offense on the field. Yeah, obviously. As, as Doug has pointed out in the past, that it's, it is a lesser concern or, or benefit than it used to be to have a dynamic guy back there. But how much – this is sort of an impossible question to answer until we actually see Julian Fleming play, which I feel like – I hope we don't keep saying that into perpetuity. But do we think – the Ibuka Fleming dynamic is a lot different now than we did before the season started. If coming into the season, we thought Fleming would probably start, but Ibuka was going to be involved in that in some way. And now I think maybe the whoever's one, a one B has flipped, but can that, is that still going to be a timeshare going forward? Or do we think Ibuka has elevated above what we think Fleming can catch up to this year? I think that maybe it's a timeshare to start, but I'm also not going to be shocked if by the time we get to like week eight and it's just like a Mecca's job because he's yeah, played I mean, really well. So. He's played very well. He certainly has played very well uh, as Steven, uh, you know, as we've talked about the whole time, they're different types of players. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you want a guy who's going to go up in traffic and make some plays and be big and physical, and maybe Julian Fleming will do some things differently. And maybe it depends a little bit on matchups or the style of what you think the game is going to be. So we certainly don't want to give up on Julian Fleming. And I don't think they want to give up on Julian Fleming no. before he's even gotten a chance to get on the field this year. Right. So we're, we're, and it's not about what we think. It's about Brian Hartline. I think legitimately, as we talked all off season is very enthused about what Julian Fleming could be. And Julian Fleming just can't shake the bad luck. So when he gets on the field, I think they will give him a chance because that, like they almost out of their own curiosity, right? That I think the kid has earned it. But also just like, what will this be like when he's healthy and ready to go? I think they have to see. But Emeka certainly is, is putting a lot out there. I do think we have to prepare ourselves for how many linebackers in the history of college football have returned to kick. Like, that is just yeah. weird. It's like, oh, who's the kick returner? As much as it's kind of meaningless, it's a linebacker. Also, but as you're saying, Nathan, is he a linebacker? He came here to play linebacker after being a running back at Arizona State. By the way, Jerome Baker is like, uh, what are we doing now? We're making linebackers return men. Can we go back in time and let me do that? Because Jerome Baker, whenever I think of linebackers who could have done something with the ball in their hands, that guy was a high school running back. Now he's an NFL linebacker. He would have loved that kind of stuff. I'm, uh, I'm on alert, Nathan, for the giant crack that Chip Trainum is going to fall in and never come out of if 
he came here to play linebacker, but oh no, wait, he's the fourth string running back because Evan Pryor got hurt. Oh wait, he's the kick returner because you know who was the kick returner before? Demario McCall. You know why he was a kick returner? Because he never found an actual role mm-hmm. on either offense well, or defense the whole time he was here. Well, there was no real indication that Chip Trainum as much as he was playing at Arizona state was necessarily going to could have come here as a running back and like elevated that room. Right. He would have been kind of a guy. And so far there's no indication that he's any better than their fourth best linebacker. And he's got guys coming up behind him possibly that are, are in that mix too. But he's, I remember having this discussion with you because after you did that sort of um, informal survey of all the linebackers in preseason camp, and he was getting these rave reviews as far as his speed and his strength and all those things. I think I said at the time, like, well, he seems like a kind of guy that could be like a dynamo on special teams, hmm. either on coverage teams. I didn't think of him in terms of returning kicks though. Yeah. I was thinking of more like what the way, the way Ryan Day is talking about Palie Neatote, the fourth right now going down and, and covering kicks and punts. I thought, and he, he's talking about training him in that way too, but um, I, it, it, it's it's one of those interesting moves that helps a roster overall, though. I, I think if you put enough extra guys, when you start putting guys like Trainum and Neatote on the field as guys who just get to go out and like do interesting things on special teams, regardless of what that means for their career, it makes Ohio State better. That's better than if you're just putting freshmen out there that aren't that physically developed and don't have that kind of like veteran savvy and about them but I agree with you too because I was thinking earlier in this week when Ryan Day brought up the fourth string running back thing for Trainum after they have a prior injury I pretty quickly dismissed it I think I even texted something like oh I think I'm setting the over under on carries for him this year at 0.5 like if he gets one I would be surprised but then earlier this week I was actually kind of thinking like maybe maybe they should think about it cuz I don't know how much linebacker he's going to play or needs to play but this is a way if you think he's as good as Emeka Buka or at least close enough that you get to sort of negate some of the risk that goes into returning kicks I suppose for Abuka then yeah why not try it It is interesting the way the linebackers have evolved that Tommy Eichenberg as you said doesn't come off the field Steel Chambers and Cody Simon are sharing time. And I don't know if they're going to put a third linebacker on the field for a single snap this year. Like, we'll have to see what it looks like against Wisconsin. We will. But Jim Knowles seems interested in maybe that extra guy. If they're putting an extra guy in the box, it's still a safety. It's still, well, that's a Lathan Ransom role, right? That like, if they think, okay, well, Lathan Ransom has been physical and he might give up some, some height, but he can handle his business in there and be physical and attack and make tackles. And it makes that room. Cause CJ Hicks is coming. So it's like, all right, they're playing. They're only playing three guys and true freshman CJ Hicks is coming. Where is there room for anybody else in a room that has nine guys in it, Stephen? We were going through, it's like, well, it feels like Mike will Sam. They go three deep at each position, Mike will Sam. And it's like, well, there is no Sam most of the time. And they're not going to a second Mike. The second Mike is actually now a co-playing at the will. But there's going to be, Chip Tranum's not going to be the only guy in that room, Stephen, looking around being like, what exactly, how do I fit in here? Because... That was kind of a weird, overcrowded, uncertain room. And man, it feel like feels like we got funneled down into three dudes pretty quick. Yeah. And for start with the CJ Hicks thing, I asked Knowles about that. And the way he answered that question, like next year at this point, I think he's very set on as Eichenberg's not coming off the field. He loves him. And then 
it, it's more like he gushed over Cody Simon and really the way him and Steel Chambers like kind of complement each other at that will spot. So I think uh, CJ Hicks is going to be a great player here. Maybe he's got all American potential, but it's just not going to happen this year for him. Maybe the same way we saw it with Travion at running back last year. But I mean, Jim Knowles has said it, and he's a linebackers coach who doesn't really want to play a lot of linebackers. He likes being in that four-two-five, and I think having that Jack position. When Jack even kind of said that, some of the reason he likes standing up so much is he started his football career as a middle linebacker, so he gets to tap into that a little bit more. So that can kind of offset you for not putting a third linebacker out there if you think Jack can bring some of that stuff to the table, especially in coverage, because I think does that Jack drops back in coverage every so often. But he likes that four-two-five, and he doesn't want to come out of it. And so we're already seeing it in recruiting where – they got Arvell Reese. They're going to try to see if they can flip Tackett Curtis, but if they only get Arvell Reese in this class, they're cool with it. We're seeing the numbers in that room over time dwindle down on how many linebackers they want in a given year. This year, it just went crazy because you brought in a running back turn linebacker while also having another running back turn linebacker. But yeah, they he's he's set on that four two five because it gives him the option to do any everything and not necessarily just be catered to one thing. Yeah. yeah, we'll talk about this a lot more next week, but my assumption now has changed a little bit. I think they probably come out in a 4-2-5 and you because people like Josh Proctor plays in the box a decent amount of time, yeah. um, a decent number of snaps in the box. So maybe you just do that more or ransom or if Court Williams gets on the field, but like play those guys in the box, make make Wisconsin force prove to you that you can't do that with their passing. And that will be the test, right? If they don't, if there's not a third linebacker used against Wisconsin, then they're not going to play a third linebacker at all this mm-hmm. year. That's that's the team that you would do it against. All right. Anything else? Information about the Ohio State Buckeyes from Ryan Day, from the players that we need to get to on this preview pod, Nathan. Are you good? I, I'm ready to talk some Rockets. Steven, you good? Uh, just for the sake of mentioning it, we got Creighton Curry on Wednesday night as a true freshman. And I, I'm not saying that this kid's going to play 30 snaps in meaningful games now, but I think we all kind of knew that there was a level of a gap between where Zach, Jack, and JT were and, like, everybody else in that room, especially JJB and uh, Tyler Friday. These first two games have showed that that I, – I think we kind of underestimated how large that gap is. And I think there's room for Caden Curry to kind of – fit somewhere in that gap and he's not gonna play more than those big three are but he can get into the rotation later on in the season while I'm not expecting it to happen now I do think it does matter a little bit that you know this is a true freshman and Larry Johnson's letting us talk to him two weeks into the season that is actually a a more interesting sign almost than what he did as a a second string guy against second string guys last week that Larry Johnson will take the the mute off and let us talk to him this early season. Cause sometimes that can be hit or miss. I do think I don't want to get too far ahead of myself on Caden Curry, just because again, look at the perspective, the, the, the perspective of, of, of when he does what he does, who he does it against. Don't, this could become a a Tyreek Williams situation where people take those fourth quarter blowout reps and turn them into an all American. Let's, let, let, but it's certainly a promising first sign for someone like him. And the, the other thing that you're hearing when you talk to players about him is, oh, yeah, from day one, he came here and he could hang. So that he, it isn't a, it's not a fluke. Yeah, I, I, I think we, we wrote, right? We wrote a Caden Curry story, at least yeah. a brief one off the game. I, I saw a headline somewhere else. There were a couple of Caden Curry stories on the internet. Uh, off the Arkansas State game, he played. 
13 snaps against Arkansas State. Javante Jean-Baptiste played 25. Tyler Friday played 16. So I'm holding off a little bit. I do think I do think um, the idea that Larry Johnson allowed him to talk is not nothing. I agree with you guys on that. But I all, I actually was a little surprised because Tyler Friday and Javante Jean-Baptiste both played like actual snaps against Notre Dame. Like I thought like they almost mm-hmm. had their role was not significantly hugely different than sort of what Zach Harrison did against Notre Dame. So um, I don't, I don't know that I would see, I don't know that I think Caden Curry is going to pass those guys that if you say, so is he still the sixth defensive end, which, Hey, at Ohio state, if you're a true freshman and the sixth defensive end, that's pretty darn good. I don't, I don't know that I think at the moment that he would move higher than that because I do think JJB and Friday still have roles. Okay. When we come back, I got a whole sheet of rocket stuff. We'll talk about Toledo next on Buckeye Talk. Doug Lamarie, Stephen Means, Nathan Baird, tech subscribers. Hey, who wouldn't want to be that? 614-350-3315. We got to start this Toledo conversation. They're 2-0. We got to start it with Daquan Finn. Because James Blackman, the Arkansas State quarterback last, last week, did a couple things, right? That's a guy who had been a starter at Florida State. He made a couple throws. No run threat. Not a run threat. Daquan Finn is a legit dual threat quarterback. He was their leading rusher in both of their first two games. And Toledo's first two games were against Long Island. I don't even know. I mean, again, we get FCS. it. FCS, yeah. And UMass. But they dominated, and all you can do is play the teams you can play. They're 2-0 and for the first time since 2017. So that's great. We understand the context of this. But Daquan Finn is their leading rusher as the quarterback. He ran for 64 yards against Long Island. He ran for 74 yards against UMass. He's averaging 265.5 total yards per game. That's accounting for 62% of the offense for Toledo. Throwing the ball against Long Island, he was 21 of 28 for 211. Against UMass, he was 12 of 26, so completed fewer than half his passes for 177. But this guy's a little bit of a guy, and I just think Ohio State fans need to be prepared for that a little bit. 6'2", 198, out of Detroit, was the 2018 Michigan Mr. Football. You know who the 2019 Michigan Mr. Football was? Cam Martinez. Cam Martinez. You know who the 2020 Michigan Mr. Football was? Donovan Edwards, the five-star running back, who's at Michigan right now. You know who the 2021 Michigan Mr. Football was? Dante Moore, the five-star quarterback who committed to Oregon. So, like, this is – listen, and this happens with Mr. Football sometimes. Sometimes they they give Mr. Football to a really good high school player who's not actually a huge prospect, and that's great. But I'm just saying, like, whatever. This guy was Mr. Football in Michigan. This is his fourth year at Toledo. He started seven games last year, and he – he can just do a little bit. They have one huge pass play this year. He threw like a 69-yard touchdown pass against Long Island, Nathan. Escaped the pocket to the right, bought time, and the coverage broke down, and the guy was wide open down the middle of the field. But it wasn't a straight drop-back deep ball, right? It was he created something out of nothing. They run the zone read with him, and he is a threat in that. Toledo took Notre Dame to the wire last year. In that game last year, they split the quarterback snaps. Finn wasn't the main guy, but he had a role. He ran, he scored on a 26 yard zone read quarterback keep with 130 left that put Toledo ahead. And actually, Toledo was down by two at that point. And if he would have gotten the five yard line and slid, 
I think the timeout situation, Toledo could have worked the clock, run the clock out, and kicked the game-winning field goal in the last play of the game. Instead, Toledo went ahead, and then Notre Dame had enough time to go down the field and score the winning touchdown at the end. But how did they go ahead against Notre Dame last year when, frankly, Toledo should have won? Daquan Finn, zone read on third and one, busted it to the outside. He's, he's a good Mac quarterback, Nathan, and he's different. I didn't, did you guys, by the way, I am an idiot. I was also kind of off the radar this weekend. I did not know that Tyler Buckner is out for the year. Mm -hmm. So I knew Notre Dame lost to Marshall, but like, by the way, that is like, that's the starter, the starting quarterback, second year guy for Notre Dame who played against Ohio state. He's out for the years having shoulder surgery. Drew Pine is going to start the rest of the year. He's out at least four months. That actually has huge effects. I think on Ohio state Notre Dame next year. Because I was assuming that Tyler Buckner, who was having trouble this year, was going to work it out all year and be an experienced four-star starting quarterback in year three against Ohio State next year in week three. And instead, I don't know who – that's going to affect who Notre Dame's quarterback is next year. So just by the way, if you guys – the listeners, maybe I'm the only person who didn't know that. But that actually has an impact on 2023 Ohio State-Notre Dame. Daquan Finn, I don't want to overdo it, Nathan. I think he's a good football player. I think he's, he's definitely a good football player. Uh, whether he's a really good quarterback is another question. And, but I think he is enough of a good football player that it starts to negate how much that matters. If, if that makes sense, it's three, three straight games with at least 64 rushing yards and a touchdown that goes back to their bowl game last year too. So it isn't just when they're stomping on nobody's here early in the season. Like he, he's definitely got scoot. He's only about a 60% passer though. And I think that's where things get interesting for Ohio state. If you can, it's not so much about, I think, taking him down behind the line of scrimmage. I think it is about containing him and making him have to earn it through the air. But they're going to run this zone read, Stephen. And I do feel like at times, and again, what does the past matter with the Ohio State defense? Because now they're playing the Jim Knowles style of defense. But there are times when Ohio State, lots of good defenses have that. With a running quarterback, if you run a good zone read, it's hard. It's hard to defend. Mm -hmm. That's why Urban Meyer loves it, right? I I could see, Stephen, at times, Finn getting a little work done on the ground. I think it would be fair to say we might see three or four 20-yard runs just because Finn read it well. And it's not because, you know, Ohio State did something wrong. It's just – that's the whole thing of a read option. The defense didn't do anything wrong. It's just the quarterback did the made the right decision on a, yeah. in particular. So whether it's him or a running back, that won't shock me, even if yeah. it looks crazy in real time. They have four plays of 20 yards or more through the air on passes this year and five plays of 20 yards or more on the ground. So this is an offense that is going to be more, this Toledo offense is more explosive in the run game. So I just... Just be aware of that. Sometimes Ohio State faces a team and the quarterback is just going to be terrible and there's nothing the team can do about it. This is a fourth-year guy who has some skill and I do think has a particular style of play that could give this defense some issues at times. Defensively, Nathan, Dallas Gant is leading Toledo in tackles. He has 20 tackles in two games from Toledo, at Ohio State last year, transferred out of that Al Washington room when, you know, he, he wasn't Kayvon Pope. He wasn't the guy who basically transferred in the middle of a game, but he did transfer early. He was part of that 18 class. It was Gant and Kayvon Pope and Taraja Mitchell, sort of this lost class of Ohio State linebackers. But this is the portal at work, Nathan, right? He has two years of eligibility. He's got his undergraduate degree from Ohio State. He's getting his MBA at Toledo. 
good for Dallas Gant. Nathan, he's pretty good. I mean, he's a good football player. I was always really impressed with Dallas Gant every time I ever talked to him. I always thought that you you there was a maturity there and a poise there. And you always wondered what that could be if it was ever really coupled with an opportunity. I think the opportunity, though, what was there last year, and it just didn't materialize, obviously, which is why he's now moved on to Toledo. But he's also a guy that is just such a great fit at that level. And that's we've talked about that before, that guys who get kind of caught in between. um, It's interesting that, you know, when you decide in your career to make that decision, because he was faced with this decision, I'm sure, from the beginning. I I know Jason Candle said that they recruited uh, Dallas Gantt coming out of high school. So they knew about him very early on being a, a Toledo guy. And at that point you have the choice like you could probably go to this max school and be a great player for three years or do you want to come take your shot at making it happen at ohio state and that is exactly what the portal has become about because in the days of your uh, guys would have to either just stick it out and and nothing ever happens at their other place and they their career just you know ends i mean they get an education and they're part of the team but they don't get to have that opportunity to really make a difference on the field or you'd have to you know, sacrifice a year of your career or, or not a year of your career, but like a year of your life where you're not playing anymore. You're, you have to sit out a whole year. And then now he gets to make this seamless transition. I think the it, Ryan Day isn't like wild about guys who were on their roster being able to transfer and then play against them the next year. But I don't really care. He's uh, not. He's not. Did he express that this week? Yeah, he, he, uh, I, he definitely said that it's a little bit uh, weird that I don't think he's necessarily speaking in terms of like, it should be prohibited, but that he thinks it's um, uh, while, well, I think he is supportive of the concept of the portal in general. I think it's one of the things that gives him the skeeves a little bit that, you know, guy that you've developed for four years and now you have to play against him, but whatever. Um, I, 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 I don't have a lot of sympathy for that, that viewpoint. And it's just, and because especially because it's just a coincidence, it's not like, I mean, it's just a coincidence that they're happy to play Toledo this year. Dallas Gantt's from Toledo. As soon as he put himself in the portal, that was probably the primary destination where he was going to end up. He's actually played really well, too. He's got 20 tackles so far through two games yeah, this year. he's like their best defensive the- player. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's 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 real. He's at the, he's at the place he should be. Uh, yeah. Another good player for them, Jamal Hines, was uh, outside linebacker. He was first team all Mac last year. I did double check because one of my favorite Buckeyes, Jermail Hines from Glenville. This guy's from Cincinnati. So his name's Jamal Hines. Not a relation as far as I know. Uh, and then uh, Deswan Johnson is probably their best defensive lineman. He has 4.5 tackles for loss. So that's a couple guys. They have a couple guys, right, Stephen? But is there any expectation that they're going to be able to stop? This is like a, I think this is a decently productive, potentially high-scoring offense that scored 37 and 55 in the first two games against terrible competition. Do we have any expectation that they can stop Ohio State, that this defense can slow down Ohio State at all? Slow down, no, but it could be 10 to 7 at the end of the first quarter. Okay. Heinz is is an interesting player to me. He was actually had – I mean, for an outside linebacker, I had a bunch of sacks last year. I I wonder if we're going to see a little bit of like a poor man's – a poor man's what Baron Browning could have been at Ohio State. Hmm. And listen, I mean, Toledo puts guys out in the league sometimes. Kareem Hunt went to Toledo. You know, it's like they, they, have, they have guys sometimes. It's not impossible that we look back and say the best team that Ohio State played out of the first three games this year was Toledo. 
Yeah, I think people are bailing a little hard on Notre Dame. I mean, I get it. They look like crap when their quarterback got hurt last week. I get it. They also hung with Ohio State for four quarters in a way that I don't think Toledo's going to do. So I get it. But they also have point taken. (laughs) Point taken. Um, I like playing Ohio teams. I like Ohio State playing Ohio teams. They play Youngstown State next year. They play Kent State in 26. They play Bowling Green in 27. Like these games should happen. This is how this should work. You're going to have a game like this on Ohio State's schedule, and this is who it should be against. Ohio State is 49-0-1 against teams from Ohio since losing to Oberlin in 1921. And the one is a tie against Worcester in 1924. They did not play anybody from Ohio between 1935 and 1991. Woody, what is up? How is Woody Mr. Ohio? I won't even say the name of a state that borders us, and we won't. Now, I guess it's because they probably were playing national non-conference games, and they didn't play that many games. And maybe Woody knew how good like Miami of Ohio was. He's like, I'm not playing those guys. So I don't want to disparage Woody. But it's that's just a surprising stat to me. 35 to 91, they don't play. Since 92, they played Ohio teams uh, 29 times. So it has come around on this. Nathan, I, th- I think this is almost like part of the mission, right? That, that this is the deal. Ohio State is the football engine of the state of Ohio, which is a football crazy state. But you should provide, when you can, opportunity and money to other schools in Ohio because there's – a lot of people from Ohio who like those teams. There's a lot of players from Ohio on those teams. It doesn't mean you can never play Buffalo or Western Michigan or whatever, but I like when Ohio State plays teams like this. I think it's just healthy for a state that loves football the way that Ohio does, too. The Toledo Blade had a good piece this week about the kind of fault lines that this creates in Toledo for people there because you've got people who are lifelong Ohio State fans, but you've got this pretty good football team in your backyard too and how does a city sort of process that and I think that probably happens every time they play one of these max schools from Ohio you're it's just sort of bouncing around the state but you get to to have those sorts of arguments uh within those communities too I think I think that's fun I mean listen Ohio State is gonna have games like this on its schedule it would, it would make more sense for Ohio State to be playing Utah State this week than a Mac school in its backyard I just think it this is definitely the way I would approach it because this is this is the thing right the current model is they play one big national game they like to play it's like a tweener game that's developed here that it's a group of five team that's a little better than a Mac school that's where Arkansas State fits it turns out Arkansas State is not that good Toledo's better than Arkansas State by the way if, if anybody doesn't know that Toledo's better than Arkansas State um but, but there's always a spot still. The way college football still works, there's a spot here for this game. I think, was it Briggs or Roland who wrote the story about the fault lines? I think it was Briggs. I, I, I figured it was Briggs. That's a Briggs kind of story, just because he's good. There was a, I, I wrote down the quote because he asked the question of Jason Candle in the news conference. And Jason Candle said, the, the Toledo coach, I grew up in a household of Buckeye fans, but you live in the city of Toledo. You go to work here every day. You pay taxes here. Root for the home team. So, like, don't be in Ohio. And he said, if Ohio State's your second best team, your second favorite team, great. But, like, root for us in this game. So, I don't know. 3-0 and in the series, Toledo versus Ohio State. Last time they played in 2011, Toledo should have won. My gosh, 2011 was a wacky year in the history of Ohio State. 
Joe Bosserman, the starting quarterback for Ohio State in that 2011 game, 16 of 30 for 189. Tim Beckman, the head coach for Toledo that year. Toledo went 11 and 3. Tim Beckman got the Illinois job off that year, and I think off almost beating Ohio State. It was 27-22. They got to the 15-yard line that Toledo did in the final minutes, threw some passes in the end zone, couldn't do it. Um, that was their shot. They also played one time in Cleveland, which I actually thought that was kind of cool. When I think it was in 09, they might have played. Toledo and Ohio State played in, in uh, the Brown Stadium up there. So um, that's where we are sort of with this history. Jason Candle, year seven. 47 and 27 as the head coach at Toledo took over from Matt Campbell 30 and 16 in the Mac. Steven, I think this is the best team in the Mac. I looked at a rating that somebody I follow. I follow a lot of analytics guys online and this rating that somebody put together sort of F, you know, ESPN FP plus Bill Conley's SP plus ratings, other like football outsiders rankings. They combined them all right. Mm-hmm. and came up like with where everybody is right now. Toledo was 62nd out of 131 major college football teams. That's pretty good. That was higher than, than anybody else in the MAC. That was higher than several power five teams. That's higher than Northwestern. It's higher than Indiana. It's higher than Rutgers. Arkansas state is in the hundreds. And Toledo is 62. So we're just looking for some context here, Stephen. But I do think this is probably more of a game, unless the Toledo guys, a bunch of Ohio guys on the roster, unless they just come in and freeze. I don't know. That's always, I think, more at stake, the way Cincinnati froze against Ohio State in 2019. But I think football versus football, if Toledo played Arkansas State, I'm pretty sure Toledo would win. I agree with that. To the freezing point, I mean – Let's just say, like, I'm going to use the Miami of Ohio game in 2019 as an example, where Ohio State just, like, dominated them outside of that uh, safety on the strip sack. But, I mean, Miami of Ohio went 7-2 in the MAC that year. Like, they were one of the better teams in the MAC, regardless of how this game played out. And I think that's what we're looking at here. Now, I think we all think Toledo might compete better than that Miami of Ohio team did in 2019. But the, the, the point still stands that regardless of what this in-game score is, we're going to go back at the end of the season and go, man, Ohio State beat a pretty good Toledo team that year. Yeah, and that Miami team then got blown off the field, like you said. Just because Toledo's might be the best team in the MAC doesn't mean that Ohio State's not going to beat them by 80. So that's the context we care about here. Preseason poll, Northern Illinois was picked to win the West in the MAC. They got 11 first-place votes, 122 points. Toledo got nine first-place points and 120 points. I think maybe the poll was wrong. I do think Toledo, honestly, like just might be better. They've been the best recruiting team in the MAC. They've had the highest ranked recruiting class five of the last six years in the MAC. They had 14 starters back, six on offense and eight on defense coming into this year. Again, they're two and zero for the first time since 2017. Um, they did lose two offensive line starters, projected starters in preseason camp due to injury. And the one thing, the history, Nathan, like this program. And again, does the history matter? I don't know. This program has given people problems. Toledo is six and 14 all time against big 10 teams. They've beaten Purdue three times and they've beaten Minnesota, Michigan, and Penn state. So they haven't ever gotten Ohio state, but this is kind of what these guys do. They're nine and 19 all time against teams, against teams ranked in the top 25, nine and 19 against the top 25 as a Mac school is awesome. 
They are one in 15 against teams ranked 16 or better. They are eight and four against teams ranked 18 to 25. If you're one of these top 25 teams hanging around on your reputation in the bottom of the pole, Toledo will eat you alive. That is, I, I have a ton of respect for a program like that. And like, is it going to happen now? Is it going to happen here? No, Nathan, it's not. But this is a pretty good version of a pretty good program. And that through all my yellow legal pad pages of research gleaned from the Ohio State and Toledo game notes, that is what I would like to leave listeners with. This is a pretty good version of a pretty good program. They're 32-point underdogs, but have a little respect for them. Yeah, all these whiny Wake Forest fans that want to know why I don't rank their team, go tell your AD to schedule Toledo. Go play somebody like that in your non-conference and show me that you can actually play. Don't, the, 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 you know. Uh, anyway, that's, that's, that's my tangent right for this week. Man, <laughs> my tangent for this you've been week. holding on to that um, one for a little minute. <laughs> no, listen, but I mean, 9-19 and 19 against ranked teams. Like, So look at, the, I guess, Think of it from that perspective. If you're an Ohio State fan, like one in three chance. Right. You were putting percentages Mm -hmm. on the chances of losing these games coming into the year. Does that mean it's like a one in three chance that Toledo pulls you upset? I think it's a much lower percentage than that, actually. Um, As you pointed out, a lot of the the bulk of those wins are against the ones who are like borderline ranked teams. But I think what it does say, it, it speaks to the sort of like institutional integrity of the of the program. And it speaks to um the the quality of the coaching that I think that they've been able to have in that program. And I think Jason Candle is a guy who is pretty widely respected. I think he's someone that people looked at as someone who could make a jump up to a, a bigger job at some point because of partially because of the work he's done at a place like this. Now, as you were talking with uh Dave Briggs and Kyle Rowland earlier this summer, there's also some people who are like, well, what's like, where's the next step here? Yeah. And but at the same time, when it goes back to just taking on these bigger schools, these bigger teams, you know, nine and 19, but then also fold in what you were just talking about. You're up with the ball with two minutes left against in Notre Dame last year, yeah. like those sort of things. Mm-hmm. They speak to how uh, how tough of an out a team like this can be. And I think Ohio State will win this game, but probably benefits from having a tough out against it going into Big Ten play. Biggest win in Toledo history. They beat number nine Pitt. In 2003, that's the one in the one in 15 against teams ranked 16 or higher. Larry Fitzgerald for Pitt had 12 12 catches for 201 yards that day, and Toledo still beat Pitt. So, like, have have, put a little respect on Toledo's name. The it's part of the legend of Joe Tiller. His first game, he lost to Toledo, and everyone was like, "Oh, what a terrible! What was this hire? This guy from Wyoming?" And then I think he went out and beat Notre Dame the next week, and the rest is history. But it again, it just speaks to that. We're going back to the first year of Joe Tiller for me to tell that story. So it's been decades now that this has been a program that can give big guys fits. All right, when we come back, we'll make our picks for Ohio State Toledo here on Buckeye Talk. Doug Maurice, Stephen Means, Nathan Baird, Ohio State, a 31.5 point favorite against Toledo on Saturday night. The over under is 62 and a half. Stephen Means, what is your pick for this game? 45 to 16 Ohio State wins. Um, they haven't gave up a touchdown in a while. I think they'll give up one, but then a bunch of field goals as well, because I think Toledo's got an opportunity here to move the ball a little bit. And as I mentioned earlier, I won't be shocked if there's like some 20, 25 yard run just because they read it well in the read option. I think one of those ends up in a touchdown just because of that. But 
Ohio State's offense last week put up 40 points against a group of five team without Jackson Smith, the Jigman, Julian Fleming. If we're expecting both of those guys to be back this week, and this offense continues to progress in the right direction, I assume that they score at least 40 points this week. So 45 to 16. So that is under yep. the 62 and a half. And that is taking the points with Toledo. You're yeah. taking the 31 and a half. This is quite a pullback from where you were last week when you had Ohio State over <laughs> 70 against Arkansas State. Seems like a lesson learned. It, but also, I mean, I just I would have said this anyway, regardless of what happened last week. I just think Toledo was a better team than Arkansas State, and they might challenge Ohio State a little bit more often. But also, yes, I, it'll be interesting. This is why betting is dangerous, because the result here might be Toledo is better than Arkansas State. But this is the week that Ohio State scores 70. Like this yeah. is how these things work sometimes, especially if Jackson Smith and Jigba is back. I'm in a similar range of you, Stephen, but I'm actually on the opposite side of both bets. I'm going 52-20, which is over the 62-and-a-half pretty comfortably. And is I'm barely given the points. I'm picking Ohio State to win by 32 when they're favored by 31-and-a-half. I actually do like the over in this game. I'm, I feel like the 31-and-a-half the is like right on it. I'm, I would sort of stay away from that part of it. I think Toledo's going to score. That if, if Arkansas State had four scoring drives last week, but they all ended in field goals because Ohio State couldn't punch it in, I'm giving them 20 because I'm giving Toledo four scoring drives, but I'm going to give them two touchdowns and two field goals. So then once you get to the 20, if the over-under is 62 and a half, it's like, well, do I think Ohio State can score 43 on Toledo? I do. So I like the over a decent amount, but I think it's a convincing win. I think Ohio State looks good, does what they need to do. But I think Toledo competes a little bit, like never in doubt, never in danger, never, nobody in Ohio Stadium is going to be freaking out. But I think there'll be a couple drives where it's like, hey, you know what? Toledo's got a little something. So 52-20 for me, Nathan Baird, where are you? Yes, Arkansas State had the four drives last week, but they were very much aided by a big special teams penalty, by two pass interference calls on one drive, things like that, the, the big blown play down the sideline. So I'm not, I think Toledo is better than Arkansas State is. I also think Ohio State will play better than it did against Arkansas State. And I, it's hard to like bake those sorts of mistakes into how you're predicting a game. So I'm actually in pretty much the same range that Steven was in, but I'm even lower. I'm going to say 41 to 13 Ohio State. So I'm going to get, I'm going to take Toledo in the points and I'm also going to go under. I, I think this is a week that, you know, um, Daquan Finn can be a problem for Ohio State. But I also think that Toledo has not seen, certainly this year, a defense that does what Ohio State is doing right now, playing downhill, playing aggressive, just kind of relentlessly coming after you and doing it with the kind of athletes that Ohio State has. Um, I think Toledo is, is going to be pretty solid defensively. I think Ohio State may have to work for some drives the way it did last week. But I think the the Jackson Pitt, the Jigba return, if it happens, also um, is is. Um, you know, a recipe for some big plays. So 41, 13. All right. So Steven and Nathan, both under both taking the points with Toledo. I'm over and I'm giving the points with Ohio state. Barely. Those are our predictions. Thanks to you guys for making Buckeye talk part of your week. Make sure you listen to the gambling show, betting the Buckeyes. That's me and Tyler shoemaker. That also comes out on Fridays for now. I'll see you at the shoe. See you at the shoe on Saturday night. For Nathan Baird and Stephen Means, I'm Doug Maurice, And that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.